0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Paul Kangor, professor of political science at Grove City College and executive director of the college's Center for Vision and Values. Dr. Kangor, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, sure, Dan. Good to be back. Thanks.
0: You know... Uh, it wasn't that long ago, well, I guess it's a while ago now, that there was a movie that came out uh, by the name of Saving Private Ryan, I guess it was 1998, and it uh, kind of chronicled the uh, Normandy landings and a group of U.S. soldiers going behind enemy lines to retrieve this paratrooper whose brothers have been killed in action. And it kind of raised the specter of losing an entire group of boys to the war effort, and uh, then, you know, it, it made you think about the sole survivor policy and all of that. Well, you've written a couple of pieces, one recently in uh, the Center for Vision and Values, and it's entitled Seven, Eight, Dot, 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 Nine Brothers in World War II. So I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners today, uh, this is Memorial Day weekend, um, some perspective on uh, what you wrote about here in this piece.
1: Sure. Yeah, and, you know, Dan, to pick up with what you said there first, I remember watching Saving Private Ryan, and, uh, yeah, it must have been about that year because I think it was only my second year at Grove City College. I've since been here almost 20 years. And I remember sitting in a tiny little movie theater in our tiny little town. We have one of those old movie theaters. And there were only about four people there with me. And I was by myself. My boys were still just two or three years old. They're now almost 20 years old. And I remember watching that, that film, and especially the, the Normandy invasion, and just walking out of that place around midnight. I watched the late show, walking out numb just from you know, the, the, the feeling of, of what those boys gave. And in that case, yeah, the, the actor, the lead actor was Tom Hanks, and they look for a guy named James Ryan who had three brothers who were killed in combat. And I, I, I think, I don't know if you saw the movie, but the most moving part to me was right after the, the Normandy landing, and, and, and they go to the home of this, of this mother out in the middle of the farm country, somewhere in the Midwest, maybe Iowa, Nebraska, and this, this car with two or three stars on it, and they've got the reverend, the minister, the priest, the guy with the collar, and, and he's with um, a, a general or, or lieutenant or two-star or somebody, and they pull up to this home, and the mother, she looks like a 1940s mom, and she's doing dishes in the sink, and she looks out the window, and she sees this car driving up, up this long, 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 long road, this long, long driveway like they have out in the Midwest, and she she knows what it means
0: yes and
1: and she walks to the front porch and she just she drops to her side she lays down because she knows she's not going to be able to take the news and and what we know that she doesn't know is she thinks she's going to be told that she's lost one of her boys mm. and she's going to be told that she's lost three boys yeah so it's 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 just it's heartbreaking and 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 it the that made made us think of a lot of us who are a little older, like like me and you, of um, the, the the World War II classic from the I guess it was the nineteen forty. It was a black and white called The Fighting Sullivan mm-hmm. about the, the five Sullivan brothers from Iowa who were all placed on the same ship that was torpedoed by the Japanese in November nineteen forty two. And the ship went down, and the Sullivan family lost all five boys. Mm. So, yeah, I've been interested in this kind of story for for a long time. From those two movies, I saw The Fighting Sullivans probably 30 years ago when I was a kid. And I, I go to a Memorial Day parade every year in little Mercer, Pennsylvania, about a half an hour away from where I live in Grove City, Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania. And I see this. Uh, I see the old veterans march up and down the street. You know, now they have them from the Gulf War. Some of them are still from the Korean War. And the guys from World War II are either walking barely, or most of them now they're riding in cars. And the one car that always strikes me is the one that says the five Bailey boys of World War II, the five Bailey brothers. Yes. And yeah, And, and so every year it goes by. And about three years ago, I finally... Tracked him down and found out that there was one left, Dick Bailey. So I did an article on Dick Bailey and his, you know, the, the five Bailey brothers, and it was you know, a touching story. And he told me about what he went through, and that led to a bunch of mail that I got. Um, well, first of the first year, not a lot of mail, but a guy from uh, a guy named Ted. His family is the, the Petkovich family, Polish immigrant from from Pittsburgh and he said, I was really impressed by the five Bailey brothers. But so let me tell you I'm from a family that had seven brothers <laughs> in World War Two. So so I wrote about them and then lo and behold I got a bunch of email and a bunch of typed letters from people who said uh yeah, my family too had uh had seven brothers. Well wow. And, and then I got mail from people who said that they had even more than that, even more brothers than that.
0: That is remarkable. I, I can't imagine what that mama is going through with all of her boys or most of her boys out there on the battlefield. It's got to be heart-wrenching for them. Even if, even if they come back, she doesn't know that they're going to come back or not.
1: Well, that's right. And you know, Ted's mother, the Petkovich family, this was Stella and Walter Petkovich, it's, it's quite tragic. Uh, well, first of all, all the boys came home, mm. but the mother died. The mother died during the war. Oh. So, so she died before she could see them come home. Yeah. And, you know, she might well have died from a broken heart or from, you know, heart problems, anxiety, stress. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I saw a picture of her from a newspaper clipping at the time. They had, it was a group of Polish moms from Pittsburgh. And it was in one of the old Pittsburgh newspapers that no longer exists. and there were, I think six of these moms, and they all had uh, five or more sons in in the war. and that was just from the Pittsburgh area. and and Stella, she you know, she won the prize. She had seven. She had more than anybody else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, you know mo- moms in those days, uh, you know, they were um, it's uh, ironically, they're probably um, you know, they had children a lot earlier. And Stella and these other mothers probably weren't even out of their 50s yet. I think they are probably in their 40s. They looked a lot older. Uh, you know, mo- moms today, you know, they go and they work out at the gym, and, and you know, they're super health conscious. And, mm-hmm. and, but, uh, you, know, the, you know, these women, I, I don't mean this as insult, but you know, they looked worn out. Yes. They looked, they looked a lot older. Uh, they died uh, younger, and, and Stella did, mu- did not make it through the war. hmm so she did not get to see, um, you know, the, 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 the wonderful news that every single one of her seven boys all came home safe.
0: Oh, boy. Years ago, I was, as a boy growing up, my father um, volunteered time and took care of a little cemetery. And, of course, I helped him, and we mowed, and we clipped around the gravestones. And um, as, um, well, in those days, I, I I think it was still called Decoration Day, And as that time came about, um, little flags would be placed on some of the grave markers, and it was a touching time of the year.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, and there there is a cemetery right on the road that's uh, about two miles from my house. Yeah, literally two miles, if even that. And Memorial Day, I noticed it every year. We drive by with, with the kids in the car, and like we usually do it on the way to the parade. If I, and really, I should make it an annual event where I just slowly drive through with the kids. But I'll, I'll point out the window and I'll say, kids, look. Look at all those flags. Oh, yes. And, and there are just little you know, little American flags all throughout the cemetery. That's right. And, and and really, Dan, kind of kind of interesting to think about it. Right now, when we drive by those cemeteries, the a majority of those headstones for the men, at least half flags, yeah. And but a hundred years from now they won't, because because the men today, the vast majority of them do not serve in in the military. They don't serve in combat. Fortunately, they don't need to. Mm-hmm. But you know, once upon a time, from the American Revolution through the Civil War, and then World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, there is still a draft, and and the majority of men. Were, we're in combat. One, one of the examples that I give in this article is a family from St. Mary's, Pennsylvania. The guy's name was James Yetzer. He, he emailed me, actually sent me a, a, a typed email. And he said that his parents, his mother gave birth to 18 children. Huh. And, and, and 10 of them, 10 of them served their country in wartime, which was um, pretty much every single boy. That, that that lived to adulthood, and you know, of of those ten boys, two of them were in Korea, and eight of them, eight of them were in World War II. Oh
2: my, yeah. Uh,
1: and 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 James, God bless him. He's he fought in Korea, and he is the last surviving member of that family of eighteen children. That's that that family of twenty.
0: Hmm. I noticed too it's a subtlety that uh, you make a distinction between email and typed and in that I'm assuming is is the distinction of older folks using a typewriter That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right.
1: Yeah, and I you know the difference is I will get if if I'm informed of these families via email it's it's almost always a grandchild. Yes. And and they're including file attachments. And if it's if it's an actual person himself, like uh, Stan Zabka, uh, 91 years old. He's a retired songwriter in California. And this guy is very interesting, Dan. He was he was a producer on the Johnny Carson show. Oh, wow. And I, I even found a YouTube clip of him playing the piano, doing a jazz piece on the <laughs> Johnny Carson show from what must have been the early 70s, maybe late 60s. It's pretty early Carson. Yeah. And, Stan was, um, you know, so Stan sent me a package, an envelope that had clippings, it had, it had a book in it, and Stan was one of eight boys in his family that served in World War II, mm. including himself. And uh, wow. of his parents' 12 children, he, he and two brothers remained, that's it. Yeah. But, but Stan told me in that piece that, that uh, the Guinness Book of World Records was the most boys from one family serving in the war as nine, and he said that that's a family from London. But what, what I what I learned in the case of writing this stuff, there a guy named Robert Ripkowski emailed me, and he must be a grandchild. He told me about his his Polish American family, Stash and Maddie Ripkowski from from New Waverly, Texas, and they had nine boys. Nine boys who served in World War II. Oh, my. So, as far as I know, and I looked around for this, I don't know if anybody really knows. I don't know if anybody's really gone through and tried to do the research, but I think uh, nine American boys serving in World War II is almost certainly the record.
0: Oh, my. You know, my dad was um, a Korean War vet, he did not get sent over. But the discipline that he learned when he was in the army, training to go over, was just a phenomenal discipline.
1: Yeah, well, and the and the Ripkowski boys, they you know they have they've, they've said they said exactly that. In fact, I find that with all these different vets that I speak to. But they, uh, uh, Robert sent me an, an article. I think it was from it was either from the lo- yeah it was from the local paper. And, uh, you know, one of them, one of the Ripkowskis, I don't know if he's still around or not, if he is, he would be in his mid-90s, his name was Franklin. And, and he said, quote, I wish every person in America would go into the military for one year. It would make a better person out of all of them, unquote. And, and I, I agree with that. I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, you know, in talking to me, you're talking to a college professor, and I meet a lot of students, not really a Grove City College, because we have, um, we have students here who, this is a, a private Christian college, we have really high standards to get in. And you know, we, we get kids here who really want the education. They, they, want the, they want to learn about Western Civ, they want a Christian education. So we're really different. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I meet 18, 19, 20-year-olds around the country, especially boys who really shouldn't be in college, and are really only there because they don't know what else to do yes and and and, and their parents sort of push them there. A, a lot of these boys would be much better off going into the military.
0: Yes, I think you're right. and uh, college is not for everyone. Some people are just wired differently. I mean we we had four children by God's grace. And each one is different. Um, one went to college. Another one uh, also went to college and becomes an RN. But uh, a couple of them, college wasn't for them, and they're doing great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not for everyone. Now, um, we're talking today about boys going to war, and uh, majority of the boys in the family, maybe all of them going to war, and a concern for, for losing the family name and all of that. Can you talk to us a little bit about the soul survivor policy how did that uh, flesh out
1: yeah it's a good question and and I, I tried to track this down and I, and I got different information on it in fact I I talked to somebody as recently as yesterday about this and and he thought that it was it was the Sullivan boys and what happened with them because uh, you know again there was an actual case it wasn't just a, a fi- it wasn't a fictional movie it was a it was a, a script based on a real life incident. Oh yes, five boys go down together, and and, and from from what we know that the, you know, there, there's a policy now where you can't have say two brothers together on the same ship, mm-hmm. or, or even in the, or even in the same combat same combat unit. But I've had a hard time tracking that down, and and and, and, and regardless, it's, it's it's almost a non-issue today because because there's not a draft. And we have a large enough military of people who volunteer that you hardly ever have that situation anyway. But, 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 but that said, I, I do think there's still a policy where they try not to have two brothers together in, in the same combat unit. So, again, you'll never have another Mrs. Sullivan. You'll never have another uh, Miss, Mrs. Ryan. Of these families that, that I know of that I talk about it in this article, People can find the article at our website, visionandvalues.org. org. They, I, I don't know of any cases where where the boys were together. They all seem to be in different places. In fact, mm-hmm. the the original article that I did that launched all of this, when I talked to Dick Bailey of the Five Bailey Brothers, he said just the opposite was true. That he and his brothers had no idea where each other were, and it, you know it, it really drove them crazy. They, they worried a lot about each other, yeah. and, and they had a hard time getting in touch with their mom. And, and, and get this, Dan, Dick Bailey told me that he didn't actually come home until, I think it was November of 46. Hmm. And, and when, when he walked through that front door after taking a train and then a bus and arriving in uh, Grove City, Pennsylvania in a snowstorm, and uh, go into the diner, the 24-7 diner, the 24-hour diner, the only place open in town. And he found out that his parents had moved. They had moved about a mile or two down the road. There was no way to get to the house, so he just trudged through the snow. No big deal for a guy like him, after all that he had been through in Europe. And then walked through the front door, and Mom and Dad came walking down the steps, and there was this wonderful, tearful reunion. And up to that point, they, they thought that maybe he hadn't made it. And and they informed him that, that all of his brothers had made it. And at that point, his original family of seven or eight kids, the parents were basically empty nesters. I think there was only one kid living in the house, a daughter. Uh, two of the girls had married off. So, so you know, he, he, was, he was so joyful to find out that that all of his siblings were alive and well. That that nobody had died. But until that moment, they didn't even
0: know. No, no. Uh, we kind of take it for granted, particularly uh, if you're a bit younger. Um, we have email, we have smartphones, and we can get in stay in touch with people uh, almost all over the world. You can do right. uh, uh, FaceTime and all of this. But those folks did not have that. And I remember a, as a boy growing up in the sixties into the seventies I got into ham radio and that was fantastic and and you know my peers didn't have that. It was it was fascinating. I could either use Morse code or talk to people uh that way when once I got my voice license it was very unique. Um but uh now we kinda take these things for granted. Another thing we take for granted I think is is the tremendous threat of uh that was presented in world war ii with adolf hitler um the other night i was watching just part of a quick movie i think it was 180 or something like that and um the person was walking around asking the students um if they knew who adolf hitler was many many of them did not know you know and it was just shocking of course he was doing it to illustrate another point but i was just fascinated that um, the younger generation, um, you really have a responsibility to study your history, to learn uh, the key pressure points of history, and this was a key one. This thing with Adolf Hitler and uh, what was going on, uh, that in my mind, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, that was truly a just war.
1: Yeah, it, it was, and one of the great things about writing about World War II, as opposed to the other topics that I do, like same-sex marriage, and <laughs> where I just can't... I get the nastiest hate mail. Uh, it, it, when I write about World War II, all, all the mail is positive. You know, I've finally done something right. You know, I'm not the uh, reprobate that, that, uh, that, that, that my detractors frame me as when, when I'm disagreeing with them on something like one of these cultural issues. But, yeah, this was totally a just war, totally a good war. You had uh, you know, people and what would be you know, the American conservatives and liberals both united on this. Gee, even American communists supported this war because um, Stalin was, 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 was on our side. Oh, that's right, yeah. Right, right. And, and by the way, I, I, on that, and people not knowing who Hitler was, in, in one of my courses that I teach at Grove City College, I put up on the big screen an overhead picture of Yalta where you had the big three, Stalin and Churchill and FDR, all at the Yalta conference. And I show my students, instead of just talking about Yalta, I want you to see this famous picture so you know what the three of these guys look like. And the reason that I did that, I was watching about 10 or 15 years ago when Jay Leno was doing one of his uh, horrendous men-on-the-street interviews. (laughs) And he had that picture, and he was showing it to people. And the young people had no idea who these three people were. And oh, yeah. one of them one of them identified, misidentified Churchill as Larry Flint. Oh my. The the, the Hustler magazine oh, photographer. My. And when, when I saw that I was so outraged and I told my wife about it and she said, Well, you know, maybe these young people have simply never seen a picture of Churchill. No. And I said, yeah, you're right, and from here on out in my class, every time I talk about Churchill, they're going to know what he looks like.
0: Oh, good for so, you. So,
1: yeah, so I, so I make sure that that they know the difference. But, yeah, our our young people today, they, they don't know this. They're so consumed about the mass culture that, uh, you know, when, when they click open their little Google uh, search thing, they're going to get a lesson in uh, transgenderism or... Uh, bisexuality or race. You know, they're not going to learn anything about the, the heroes who served their country and all the different wars.
0: Oh, yes. Um, we're seeing a terrible collapse all around us. May God have mercy on us. Um, just really quick, we have a couple of minutes left, literally. Um, this figure of Adolf Hitler, what was his politics
1: yeah, it's pretty hard to pin down. But first of all, one thing people should know, the word Nazi is an acronym for, for Nationalist German, uh, Nationalist Socialist. Mm-hmm. It was the Nationalist Socialist German Workers' Party. Okay. So, you know, he gets, he gets portrayed as, as a right-winger, but he, he was a socialist. He was a big government guy. He was a fascist. Yeah. And fascists are not exactly free marketers out of you know the Milton Friedman or or Hayek uh, Mises Austrian economics and mm-hmm. classical free market economics school now he he was he was a big government guy too he was no communist he hated the communists and and, and also I point this out to Christian listeners in particular he was not a Christian uh, I was playing a trivial pursuit game a few years ago I'll never forget this and the question was what religious faith was Adolf Hitler and I said oh no I'm afraid to even hear the answer right and it said Roman Catholicism. No, oh. Hitler was a Roman Catholic as a boy. He sang in the choir, just just like uh, Stalin was Eastern Orthodox as a boy. But they both left the faith. Correct. Hitler had this really... Hitler was a radical pagan who was into some crazy occult practices. Uh, and, and, you, know, you know, These guys, with the one thing they all hold in common is they all thoroughly rejected and trashed the Christian faith.
0: That is correct.
1: Yes. So so understand, these were evil men who were um, hijacking or rejecting Christianity. And and it's an important lesson to learn, because the worst monsters of the 20th century, the one thing that they all held in common is that they were Antichrist. Yes. They were really all Antichrist.
0: Well put. I'm so glad you brought that out. Uh, Today we've been talking with Dr. Paul Kangor. Uh, We've been considering... um, a topic uh, because uh, it's uh, the Memorial Day weekend. And Dr. Kengar is a professor of political science at Grove City College, executive director of the college's Center for Vision and Values. And um, you can get on that mailing list. Um, maybe, Dr. Kengar, as we wrap up here, tell people how they can get a hold of your mailing list your website or contact you and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, thank you. I would just tell them to go to visionandvalues.org, visionandvalues.org. And if you go there, look at our stuff, and you could, you could see there by clicking any of our articles how to get on our email list. Oh, that's great. And I don't know if you have a web webpage you can maybe link to or not.
0: Oh, yeah, we'll put it on our webpage also because this interview will go up on our webpage, redeemerbroadcasting.org, and we'll put the URL there as well.
1: That would be great.
0: Okay. Dr. Kangor, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you, Dan, and a blessed Memorial Day to everybody and uh, prayers for all the families and all the veterans and for, of course, everybody who who, who gave their lives for for, uh, for this country and its freedom.
0: That's right. No greater love. Thank you again, and dear listener, you can find us up on the website, RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.